If you are watching this on YouTube or listening to this podcast, wherever you are today, please hit that subscribe button, that follow button, so that you can stay current on the material that we are providing. But not only that, you then help us to spread the word to more people. You are vital in this mission to reaching our world of people just like you who are living in this nightmare. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Memories can absolutely haunt victims of covert narcissistic abuse for years. They trigger us, causing massive internal reactions. Anxiety, tension, pain in the gut, shaking, twitching, upset stomach, increased blood pressure, increased heart rate, panic attacks, and so on. All of this from a simple memory that still haunts you today. This is PTSD and can create problems for years, decades, or even the rest of your life. December 2nd of every year was one of those memories for me. It was a significant day in my world with my covert narcissistic husband, who is now my ex-husband. And, and this year, I was purposefully breaking those memories and turning that date around in my world. And I want to tell you that story here today. I want to share it with you. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. And thank you so much for joining me here today. I, I want to remind you that I also have a Facebook group, the Covert Narcissism, Covert Narcissism Group. It is you know over 51,000 people, all victims, uh, just like you who are trying to recover from covert narcissistic abuse. So come join that group if you can. And uh, again, thank you for joining us. And if, if you hit that favorite button or hit that like button, it just helps so much to continue to spread the word on covert narcissism. So December 2nd, that was such a significant day in my life for so many years. And I want to share that story here today. This is a personal story from my life. In 1997, my boyfriend and I at the time went out on a date and we had been dating for quite a while for, you know, clearly not long enough. I, I really rushed through uh, a dating relationship way too fast. And I look back now and, and I realized that, but we went for a walk <clears throat> after dinner on a hill that overlooked the city that we were living in. And he got down on his knee and he asked me to marry him. Well, I was ecstatic. You know, I was madly in love with this man and I was so excited. He seemed like the perfect match. It was, it was like, it was too good to be true. He was my knight in shining armor. And yes, I realize now I had been love bombed, you know, e extremely well, but at the time I thought this was perfect. This was great. And so we got married, you know, the next year we got married and every year from then on, on December 2nd, he would take me out on a date. He would find a hill to go for a walk and he would propose all over again. He would say, would you still marry me again today? And I heard this every year. And, and every year I gave him an enthusiastic yes. You know, at the beginning, I was still in that honeymoon phase and, and I told him how wonderful he was and I told him how happy I was and I would just fill his ears with all these wonderful things that he wanted to hear. And this went on year after year after year. So as our marriage continued, though, as any of you who've ever lived with a covert narcissist uh, know, I mean, you get it. Every year, things got a little worse and a little worse. 
Uh, it reached that point of of being verbally abusive. He was so sharp tongued, but it would it would kind of seem to come out of nowhere. And and the first time I saw it, we'd only been married about a year, and it was just one time, one time. But it was so sharp and so unexpected, and so it was shocking. And yes, it still sticks in my memory today. But every year it got a little more often, and a little bit harder, a little bit stronger, a little bit a little bit worse. And every year there was just less and less effort into talking nicely to me. It was like it just didn't matter anymore. There was no reason for him to talk nice to me anymore. Well, then our two boys were born and things continued to get worse. He kind of toggled between being a distant, cold person or angry and prickly. And that was all we were beginning to see is either he was he was distant and cold and like disconnected from us, Or if he was engaged in what we were doing, he was angry and sharp-tongued and all of this. And our boys even began to be the targets of his abusive behavior. And I just, I was in shock. I could not believe what was happening here. How could he possibly talk to our children like this? How could he treat them this way? There was no effort from him into talking nicely to any of us. And and it appeared that he just didn't care. He didn't care about how we felt. You know, there was no genuine concern for us, for our thoughts, our opinions, and our feelings. You know, at the time, I did not know what covert narcissism was. I didn't really know what narcissism was. And I really, truly did not know what covert narcissism was. You know, I had never heard of gaslighting or projecting or circular conversations. Those were not terms that were familiar to me. But I knew that I was not happy with what was going on here. I knew that I was not okay with how he was treating us. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was hurting our boys, and I I knew that it needed to stop. My heart hurt daily. And, And I was working overtime to keep our family peaceful and happy, trying to just trying to save our boys, trying to help them, trying to help myself, trying to figure all this out. And he seemed to put absolutely no effort into keeping peace in our home. In fact, he seemed to be working against it at every turn. It was like, you know, if I if I put a, a metaphor to this, it was like he was walking through the house, slamming all the doors shut. And those doors were the doors to our hearts. But he's going through the house, slamming all these doors shut. And I was frantically panicked following behind him, trying to open them all back up again. You know, I watched over the years as he snuffed life out of our boys. His verbal abuse stung their hearts so bad that I could physically see it in them. When he interacted with them, they went from their happy, energetic little boy selves to drooping shoulders, head down, looking like they were just carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. To this day, that image still haunts me. I can still see my oldest son, his oldest son, our oldest son, with his head down, and it was like life was just physically draining right out of him. I tried so hard to get it stopped, to help him see how he was hurting them, convinced that if he he would just stop if he could understand, if I could just help him to see it, he would stop, and I was so convinced of this. There were so many conversations behind closed doors, trying this approach, that approach, anything, anything that could help him to see it. But nothing ever worked. 
I played peacemaker between him and his two boys for years. I picked our boys back up over and over after he knocked them down with his meanness and his sharp tongue and his verbal abuse and his psychological abuse. I covered their hearts with love when they felt their father's anger and disappointment. As a family, we absorbed blow after blow from him. Just plain meanness in his words and in his tone, twisting reality to justify his anger at us when we had done nothing wrong, turning us against him over and over, telling us how bad we were and blaming all of our problems on us while he carried no responsibility himself. Year after year, just like so many of you, I became more and more tired, exhausted. I felt like I was swimming the ocean with two boys on my shoulders, holding them afloat while trying not to drown myself. I was exhausted. All the while, year after year, on December 2nd, he would propose all over again. Would you marry me again today? With flowers in his hands, that stupid smile on his face, eagerly waiting for my reply, knowing that the answer would be yes, and that I would then boost him all up all over again. Yes, dear, I would marry you all over again. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. And I would pump up his ego and tell him how wonderful he was. I began to dread December 2nd. I hated that date. Every year I knew it was coming. Every year for weeks beforehand, I knew here we're going to go again. I had to paste that stupid smile on my face and find words, somehow find words to tell him how much I loved him and how wonderful I thought he was. My stomach would start to hurt for weeks ahead of time. My guts tightened up. I couldn't sleep and my mind was overwhelmed with the thought of going through this yet again. I hated it. And I would say to myself, you know, maybe he'll forget. Maybe he won't ask this year, you know, and or maybe I can make sure that I'm busy that day. I'll make plans that night and I, I won't be able to go out with him. But I knew that I couldn't. I knew that I wouldn't. I knew that he would remember. You know, I couldn't do it because it just wasn't worth the price of his anger and, and his victim role, his victim playing. You know, I would hear it. I could already hear it in my head. How could you do this to me? Don't you know how special that day is? How could you hurt me like this? On and on, and the circular conversation would begin, and it would end with his anger coming out at me, and everything in the world, everything, everything that has ever gone wrong in our lives was all my fault. And I was so sick of those conversations, there was no way I was going to do it again. I knew he would remember. Every year he did. And I knew that I had to be available. Will you marry me all over again? I wanted to scream, no, of course not. Why the heck would I do that? You treat me so poorly 364 days out of the year. And yet this one day you want me to tell you yes. What is wrong with you? You hurt me over and over with your words and you just don't care. I've tried to tell you in every way that I possibly can, but nothing ever changes. You hurt our boys and they are suffering so much because of you. So no, I would not marry you again. I wanted to scream this from the rooftops. Well, in 2017, months before December 2nd, like I was to the point I was anticipating this now by months, I finally decided that I was done lying 
on that date. I was over this game and it had to stop. This year, I would tell him the truth. As that day approached, the tension in my body was unbearable. I was a nervous wreck. But I had to do this. I had to tell him. Surely this would not be a shock to him. I mean, we've been having problems for years. I've told him that he's verbally abusive. I've told him that I don't feel connected to him anymore, that I don't feel attracted to him anymore, that I don't feel like he cares about me or my feelings. I've tried to be completely honest with him, and I've explained this in a thousand different ways to him. How could he possibly think that I would still marry him? Surely this would not be a shock to him. I kept justifying that in my head is surely he's got to be anticipating this. Maybe he won't ask this year because he knows I'm not happy in our marriage. So maybe he's smart enough to realize that he probably shouldn't ask, you know, this question. No, no, he's not. And that day's approaching and, and I know that it's coming. You know, as the day approached, he had actually not yet asked me to go out on a date. And so I started to get just a tiny bit hopeful that maybe this little ritual would stop. But no, it came. Hey, let's go out for dinner on Friday night. My heart just sank. Oh, no. Here we go. Okay, was all that I could answer. So we went out to dinner. And dinner was fine. We just didn't talk about anything of any substance. And we got in the car to head home, and I thought, oh, good. Maybe he won't ask this year. You know, he's actually driving towards home. I'm like, oh, good. Thank You know, maybe he just, maybe he realizes he shouldn't ask. But no, he turned on a side street, and as soon as he made the turn, I thought, oh, no. My heart is now pounding out of my chest. And he stopped the car, and he said, let's go for a walk. I knew it was coming. My whole body was shaking. How can I stop this? Should I just tell him before he asked? Should I just save him that question? Would that be better? I, I was frozen. I, I didn't know what to say. So we went for a walk. And sure enough, for the 20th time in my life with him, he got down on his knee and he asked, would you marry me all over again today? And there was that stupid smile on his face. I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, no, I would not. I did it. I said it. I actually got the words out of my mouth and I said it. No, I would not. He went dead silent, seemingly totally shocked. So I kept talking and I said, Hey, who I am today and who you are today, if I was just meeting you for the first time in my life, no, I would not marry you. This cannot be a shock to you. You know we're having problems. You know this is how I've been feeling. This can't surprise you. But his response to me was, I never thought that you would actually say that to me. We drove home in silence. I was so relieved that I had actually, finally spoken the truth to him. I hated that it hurt him so much. That is true. But this was his fault for not listening to me over all of these years. I've been trying to tell him. I was done. When we got home, he handed me a gift bag that he had in the back seat. And he said, for what it's worth, I bought you a gift this time. He had not bought me a gift any of the other times. I mean, he had given me flowers, but not an actual gift. But because this was our 20th year, you know, 20th anniversary, I guess that's why he had bought me a gift. 
you know, I love snowmen and I decorate with them every, every winter. Well, he had bought me this tall snowman globe and it, it's rectangular. It had a real decorative frame around it and this little snowman family inside it. And at any other time, in any other circumstance, I would have loved this, but not now. So I, I took the globe, you know, and I put it on the fireplace mantle and things just kind of went from there. That next year we did get a divorce. I'm now three years out and I'm so happy so happy in my life. You know, there's been so much healing for me and for our boys. We're in, we're in a place that we have never been in before. There's just been so much positive and, and so much growth. Yet every year on December 2nd, those memories flood back in. And, and it's a date that I've hated for so long. You know, that snowman globe, when we divorced, I put it in a bag and I stuck it in my garage. I just didn't know what to do with it. And so I, I put it in there. Well, this year, three days ago on December 2nd, I figured out what to do with that thing. I took it outside onto our driveway, our aggregate driveway, and I put it in a cardboard box big enough that I could smash the smithereens out of this thing. And I took a hammer, I put goggles on for safety, and I took a hammer and I beat the daylights out of that globe. I played a song actually on my Bluetooth speaker and the song was What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. And then the other song it followed was Fight Song by Rachel Platten. And, and I let those songs just play while I beat the stew out of this thing with a hammer. And honestly, it was actually ended up being quite fun because it didn't want to break. I'm, I'm beating it with this hammer. And I mean, I'm athletic. I'm in good shape. I'm a martial artist and I'm beating this thing as hard as I can with a hammer. And it won't break. Like the frame broke and that was fine, but the plastic globe would not break. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. And so I turned the hammer around and I tried the back end of the hammer where, you know, the pointy edges of the back end of the hammer, it still wouldn't break. So I went in the garage, I dug around, I found a hatchet. So I thought, all right, here we go. I took a hatchet to that thing. And again, I'm, I'm beating it for all I'm worth and just kept replaying that music over and over. I went back and I just hit it, play again, play again, play again. And I just out there beating this thing. And it finally broke. I smashed it into smithereens. I got the little family, the little snowman family out of the inside. And I smashed that. I, I mean, it was so healing to me. And it, it felt so good to smash this thing up. And then I, after that, I, um, I also got in my brand new hot tub because I just bought a hot tub that actually was delivered that same day. That day was so healing for me. So what about you? How can you turn some of those memories around for you? What memories, what dates linger in your head? What memories are you holding on to in your heart? It's time for some purposeful healing for you. Find that thing to smash or to burn, you know, throw it in the fire, run it over with your car, throw it away if that's, if that's all you're able to do. Something symbolic something that you're still holding on to, go do it. The physical action releases some of those burning emotions inside of you. When I got done smashing this thing, I just sat down and I'm listening to this music play and I thought, wow, what a good feeling to know that it was okay with me to smash that thing up and to say, I'm done. I'm done with all of this. I'm done with the abuse. I'm done carrying this inside of me. December 2nd is now a day I can look at and, and laugh at a positive memory. 
And after you smash or burn or throw away whatever it is you're doing, go treat yourself with something amazing. Now I've got a hot tub. I'd wanted one for years. And it came that same day, December 2nd. And go get you something you've always wanted or, or somewhere you've always wanted to go. Go on a trip or something you've always wanted to do. Go horseback riding or go, you know, skydiving. Something you've always wanted to do. Go be purposeful about your healing. Don't just sit back and wait for time to do it. It's not about time. It's about purpose. And then send me an email, a Facebook message. Tell me what you did. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what worked for you. I can't wait to hear your stories. I'm going to throw this into the Facebook group too, because I want to hear your stories of what you do. Let's make this a year of healing. It's time to turn all of this around. Remember, you are stronger than you know. There is life after narcissistic abuse, and you are stronger then you realize you can break these internal chains. And I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. The information provided by Renee Swanson and the Covert Narcissism Podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used for diagnosis purposes and not intended to be a substitute for clinical care. Please consult a healthcare provider for guidance specific to your case. This material discusses narcissism in general. It does not claim that any specific person has narcissism and should not be used to refer to any specific person as having narcissism. Permission is not granted to link to or repost this material to support an allegation or a claim that any specific person is a narcissist. That would be an unauthorized misuse of the material and information provided.